Hi, I'm Elizabeth Noyce, and you're listening to Supergirl Radio. McGurk! I love not typing. Not messing my Google Docs, Meeksy. Supergirl Radio is going live every night of the week. How do you <laughs> like it? It's being, becoming a human burrito, a plus or a minus. I don't know. It does seem snug. I mean, they say you are what you eat. Kira. I love that. So I do a podcast called Supergirl Radio, and one of our segments is Lena Luther boardroom or ballroom. Because really? She looks like a boss in this coat. Nasty Luther, like a different Luther. It's not just Lena being mean. No. <laughs> Helen Slater here. So fun to know that you're hosting a podcast called Supergirl Radio. Welcome to Supergirl Radio, your source for all things related to the CW Supergirl TV series and the character of Kara Zor-El. My name is Rebecca Johnson. I'm Morgan Glennon. And for this episode of the podcast, we are live and wired on the Supergirl Radio Facebook page and the DC TV podcast YouTube channel to go back in time. <laughs> Since Morgan didn't review Supergirl episodes as a full-time co-host of Supergirl Radio until the episode World's Finest, which was the crossover episode with The Flash, uh, which... Uh, actually aired in March of 2016, if you can think Whoa. back that far. <laughs> Throw uh, it back. <laughs> throwing it back to, to 2016. So since uh, Morgan was not a uh, full-time co-host of Supergirl Radio until then, we are going to revisit the first season of those episodes until we get to World's Finest to get Morgan's thoughts. So we are going to start uh, this series by uh, going back to the beginning. We're going to start with the pilot. Um, so we're going to get Morgan's thoughts on the pilot. But before we do that, we need to get to the news. On March 9th, The Flash podcast released a new and exclusive interview with The Flash executive producer Eric Wallace, who gave them a scoop on a Supergirl alum who could be appearing on The Flash in the future. We have a clip from the interview to see and hear the tease for that appearance. Like the rest of you all are still waiting for a pickup too, but um, I know how these things work from a more practical level. If we are lucky enough to get that pickup, then very quickly I'm going to be asked, "Hey, so what's the story next year?" I, I, I can't wait. I can't wait that long. I, I need to have a plan in place now. So that's kind of been my job over the last couple of months or so. But yeah, I, I would like to have uh, you know the people who were on the show before in Armageddon. But there's also some new folks. Uh, with, I won't spoil it, but one of the people I'm actually having a conversation with, I believe in in two weeks, a Supergirl alum. I'll give you that much. Okay. Um, who has never been on our show before and. Uh, I'm going to try and get that individual. Notice I did not use any pronouns. Uh, I'm going to try and get that individual onto our show in some way because I love the character so much. Um, but, you know, one step at a time. One step at a time. It's amazing that you can see what Andy's thinking in that clip. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, even if he didn't type it out, I kind of got the gist of his thoughts, even just from the the verb uh, the nonverbal cues. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Uh, who do we think? Who do we think it could be? 
Uh, there are a couple of folks. So I know, uh, obviously, uh, Kyler Lee as Alex has been on the flash. She was in Armageddon. Uh, Monel has been on the flash. Uh, Martian Manhunter has been on the flash. Um, I could not think about, uh, James and Wins specifically because I couldn't remember if they were on like crossovers, but not technically on the flash. Uh, but we could, we could be talking about Dreamer. We could be talking Brainy. We could be talking Andrea Rojas. I don't know if they would bring William Day back from the dead. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they could if they wanted if, to. I guess. What if it was like, it's, it's a Supergirl cast member and everybody's like, yeah. And then they're like, it's William Day. And everybody's like, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> well, technically, Eric Wallace just says Supergirl alum. That doesn't necessarily mean Supergirl regular cast members. So we could Ooh. be talking Maxwell Lord. Who knows? It could be anyone. What if What if they bring back Lucy Lane? They've already got oh. her over on Superman and Lois. What if she just like starts visiting every TV show? <laughs> she and could be the Diggle from Supergirl. Yes, she could be. She could be our Diggle, and like she goes to every show, and she's like. Remember the first season of Supergirl? And they like just go, shh, we don't speak of it. <laughs> <laughs> they would just go, what's Supergirl? We don't know. We don't We don't speak of her ever again. I feel like it's probably Nia or Brainy. That is my guess. I, I my would guess. guess Brainy if I had to. But I would love, like, can we get more Eliza Danvers? I, I know that's probably yes. not going to happen, but why not? <laughs> If it's a Supergirl alum, they could bring her back. Why um, not? But my guess is probably Brainy, um, because there's some Nicole Maines news that I think might prevent that. that oh, we're be talking that's about. true. I was just thinking about that, too. I was like, oh, I don't know. Didn't she just get cast in something? But so we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But I, I think there's a, you know, there's uh, some some speculation on who that might be and Hagel Blast in the chat reminds me that when was in the musical episode in duet so that was technically on the flash so when is out ah. so good reminder and uh tiana also pointed that out i had thought about that earlier and just when we got on the live stream it just went out of my brain so <laughs> i knew it just not right I mean, when we were talking are about we it. sure it's not going to be snapper car like are we sure he's not just going to like snap into existence and be like yo it's me it could be uh it could be mixy Oh, Wait, it could be. Has he been in any crossovers? <laughs> mm, no, I don't think so. Now that would be really cool to see Mixie uh, mixing it up with uh, the Flash. I would be into that. That'd How would the Flash handle? Yeah, the like, like maybe we're maybe we're looking too much at like the main cast. Maybe we should be looking at the villains. Yeah, I, th I think he, <laughs> maybe Nixley can finally get her moment. She gets out of the the phantom zone, and she's like, "Finally, I, I get to be great." And then they maybe like they throw her back in or something. But <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Oh no, what if it's Lex? I, I can't. I okay? can't. <laughs> My brain froze. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Uh, actually, that would probably be pretty fun. I can't lie. Like uh, John Cryer. Is great. Ducky Lex Luthor is is pretty tops, but <laughs> of all the of all the Supergirl people, that would that would be like almost worse than than like Williams back from the dead, and he's just baking <laughs> in a corner of of the Flash. <laughs> it's who everyone wants from Supergirl. You're like Supergirl, Alex, Dreamer, Lex, because <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have enough of him in the show. Mm, you're like. Mm. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, well, I think that I think that's a good thing to think about. That we, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be like the main cast members. It could be a villain from the show. It could be a, a supporting character who doesn't get a lot of time to shine. So who knows? I guess we'll wait and see who gets cast on the Flash. Yeah, and so. if you want to watch that full interview with uh, with Eric Wallace, um, you can go to the the Flash podcast. You can watch that the video version on YouTube.com slash DCTV podcast, or you can listen to the audio version wherever you listen to podcasts on the Flash podcast. So Definitely. pretty cool interview. Got a little tidbit for us. A little, little something, something for Supergirl Radio. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, yeah, Andy. <laughs> definitely go check that out over there. Uh, you can go to theflashpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. And speaking of The Flash, we have some movie news to get to that also uh, has to do with Supergirl. Lots of Flash and Supergirl news for this episode of Supergirl Radio. Uh, this news, though, is maybe not so great. <laughs> Speaking of more <laughs> uh, Supergirl connections to The Flash, we have news about the big screen portrayals. On March 9th, Deadline.com reported that the release date for The Flash movie, which will feature Sasha Kajay as Supergirl, has been moved from November 4th to June 23rd, 2023. So this is a, a uh, pushing it back uh, another year. Uh, I was going to say, that's kind of a long time. That's uh, quite a long time. Uh, from what Deadline has heard, a number of these movies, uh, uh, these DC films, uh, which are visual effects heavy because they, they push their whole lineup uh, back. So uh, a number of these DC films, which are visual effects heavy, are being pushed due to the uh, what's uh, referred to in the article as a log jam. Many post-production effects houses are facing as productions are ramped up during COVID. And as Deadline understands, The Flash alone has 2,500 VFX shots. Whoa. And if you are also hoping to catch Crypto and hopefully Streaky, I'm crossing my fingers for Streaky the Super Cat, uh, that we have no confirmation of Streaky appearing in the film as of yet, as, as far as I know. Uh, but if you're hoping to catch some Super Pets on the big screen as well, DC League of Super Pets has also been moved from May 20th to July 29th. So not as long uh, of a delay as the Flash movie, but uh, all these all these films are getting pushed back. And um, personally, I don't think the Flash movie is ever going to see the light of day. I don't know that we're ever going to get to see that film. It's been delayed and delayed and delayed. I'm not going to believe that it's actually going to actually be in the theaters until I'm like eating popcorn in my seat. <laughs> and even then I'm going to be like, what if it doesn't come on? What if, what if you're eating popcorn in your seat and they're like, we're sorry to tell you that we've heard just now this movie has been delayed. <laughs> there, It turns out that there's more FX that needs to be done. It's a, what, what if, what if by the time we get the flash, it's like a full, like that little girl from the ring situation and the flash actually <laughs> comes out of the, the movie screen. <laughs> The flash like hands you your popcorn as you walk in. <laughs> the year 2055. <laughs> I just don't have a lot of hopes on seeing the flash movie ever. And how many times has this thing gotten delayed? I don't know. I mean, Justice League came out in 2017. So a long time. <laughs> that was his last appearance on the big screen. So it's not going to come out until five years later. I was looking forward to seeing super big screen Supergirl. And I was like, oh, we don't have to wait that long. <laughs> and you know what? I'm sorry because I jinxed it 
and I accept responsibility. <laughs> this is all Morgan's fault. It's all my fault. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. So oh. uh, if you want to go see a DC film, uh, you're going to be waiting a while, I think. Uh, so <laughs> hopefully they'll make it uh, worth the wait in the end. But uh, I can't believe they moved be the while. Super Pets. They moved the Super Pets, too. Not not as long though. We'll still, I think we're still getting super pets this year. But if you're wanting to see the Flash and Supergirl together, you got to wait a whole other year for that one. We were. Pl- I was planning to go see that Super Pets movie like as soon as it came out. I had big plans. I was like, I got to watch it for the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah we're gonna cover it. July. <laughs> gonna have to move our plans around. Excuse me, people. We've been planning. Why can't you plan? Yeah, we've we've been keeping it together. As much as we've had to shift things around, we we, we still keep on track. I know. <laughs> this pilot rewind only got pushed one week. Yeah, I Not mean, five it's... years. <laughs> Oh, jeez. Well, we'll see it one day. <laughs> Will we? Will we? <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> the technology is going to be so good by the time we see it, though. You're going to feel like you're in it. <laughs> um, okay. Another piece of news is according to Deadline.com, Nicole Maines has signed on for roles in 20, 20th Century Studios film Darby Harper wants you to know once you yes that's it oh my god it's like I can't speak today it's like I'm sounding <laughs> them every word out phonetically uh, okay <laughs> she's been cast in Darby Harper wants you to know for Hulu which is currently in production in South Africa the film from director Silas Howard follows Darby Harper played by uh, Riel Downs who, after suffering a near-death experience as a child, is granted the ability to see ghosts. Uh, To combat the existential boredom of high school, she runs a side business counseling local spirits in her spare time. When an unexpected occurrence happens between Darby and Capri, the most popular girl at her high school, Darby reluctantly agrees to help her and, in the process, learns how to fit in with the living world again. Uh, my guess is Nicole is maybe going to be one of the ghosts. Do you think? Ooh, maybe, maybe. It doesn't yeah. say who she's who she's been cast as, but there is yeah. already a Darby Harper. So maybe she's Capri, the most popular girl at school. Oh, maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> <laughs> or she's I, I, a ghost. Like I think ghosts would be more fun. To yeah. be honestly, if it, I was choosing. Yeah, I, I would like to see Nicole Nicole Maines play a, a ghost in that series of uh of ghostly figures in that film. So that that sounds great. Good for Nicole uh getting uh more projects after the the ending of Supergirl. And that that's kind of why I think maybe if she's out in uh, what was it, Africa, South Africa? Uh yeah, the, South Africa is where pr- they're productions filming. in South Africa. And I don't know, could she come back from South Africa? to be on the flash. I mean, I guess it's possible. Uh, but that's kind of what makes me think that maybe Nicole and, and dreamer are not going to be the, uh, the one yeah. going to be on the flash. That, that seems like it might be a little bit of a tough, uh, tough commute. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I don't know. They could still make it work, I guess. So that's true. It uh, depends on when yeah. like production cycles are, but, uh, but that's it. The, the movie sounds like it could, it could be pretty fun. So 
you know, something else for Supergirl Radio to watch in the future. Maybe, True. Maybe if that comes out before The Flash. <laughs> maybe maybe that could be a Halloween. Well, no, I guess we won't be able to spooky. see that in time in time for this year's Halloween. But it could be a spooky season, maybe. Uh, <laughs> a future spooky season. <laughs> <laughs> With ghosts. Um, so, yeah, that's great. Well, uh, we'll have to see when that comes out and maybe uh, watch it and give it a review on the podcast. All right. Well, speaking of uh, Supergirl uh, actors, after the show has uh, gone off the air, uh, we got a little news about uh, Jeremy Jordan's uh, post-Supergirl life. On March 6th, uh, Jeremy Jordan, who played Winshot on the CW Supergirl TV series, announced that he is now the lead singer of a band called Age of Madness and that their (laughs) music will be coming in the spring of 2022 um so uh have you have you uh seen their little announcement video morgan i have not uh this was actually news to me as well when i read the doc i was like he's doing what now uh, <laughs> age of, I, I skimmed it right before you read it and i was like age of is, is he in that doctor strange movie uh which is not called age of madness it's called like multi whatever it's called something multi I don't know what it's called. I honestly don't. But I think it has madness <laughs> in the title. And I was like, is he in Doctor Strange? And then I noticed it was a band. And I was like, okay. Multiverse of something. Oh, yeah. That's probably Multiverse right. of madness. So I got confused because the word madness was in there. And, uh, but yeah, I didn't, what kind, do we know what kind of band it is? It sounds uh, like alternative kind of a sound like kind of a like a like a rock alternative uh, which is kind of surprising because he's he's a big uh, broadway guy you know kind of a show tunes man so for him to take on the the lead singer responsibility of kind of like a grunge uh rock uh band is is pretty cool i mean uh, they sounded pretty good um the Age of Madness, though, I'm very interested in, in where that <laughs> comes from. <laughs> Nicole uh, Nicole Green in the chat said, my brain said Age of Innocence. Great film. <laughs> good, good book as well. Good book as well. <laughs> he's in good company. Uh, I, yeah, I'm. He's a, he's a great singer. So I'm excited to see what it sounds like and if it's something that I would l- listen to. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, we'll find out in the, he said in the spring. Uh, spring of 2022. So that should be so coming like now. Up soon. Yeah, that's like now. <laughs> I was like, yeah. That's, I was about to say, oh, in the spring. And then I was like, wait, it's kind of the spring now. <laughs> it's, we'll find it's, out soon. <laughs> it's becoming springier. Uh, so yeah, so that should be coming soon. He's a he's a great uh, vocalist. So he's a he's a good one to to lead a band like that. Um, and the musicians, from what I could tell from their just their little promo that they had, uh, were pretty great as well. So I think that'll be nice. a good listen. That seems like it would be a fun project to, uh, especially if you're a good singer and you've done like a lot of Broadway stuff. It seems like a band makes a lot of sense. Yeah, he he sounded like in the uh, promo that he had wanted to make some new original music, but he, he really just didn't want to do it by himself. And so that's why he got a a band together to do it. So I, you know, and it's a lot more fun when you've got other people with you. So, Oh yeah. uh, I'm sure, I'm sure it'll be great. So if you're a Jeremy Jordan fan or you just want some new music, uh, check out the age of madness, uh, coming soon, spring 2022 (laughs) sometime in the near future. Uh, definitely check that out. 
All right. Well, I think we now need to get to why we are together today for this uh, Supergirl radio episode. And that is uh, maybe uh, to go back in time. We're going to do a little Supergirl radio rewind. So we are going all the way back uh, to season one, episode one, appropriately titled The Pilot of Supergirl back when it was airing on CBS. Uh, it's hard to remember that far back, uh, but when you watch the episode, it definitely looks like it aired on CBS because it <laughs> definitely had more money uh, put towards it. Um, so I guess to sort of refresh our memories, uh, here's a little description uh, that I that I found in the way back of the internet. Uh, it <laughs> says, quote, after 12 years of keeping her powers a secret on Earth, Kara Zor-El, Superman's cousin, decides to finally embrace her superhuman abilities and be the hero she was always meant to be. Supergirl is an action-adventure drama based on the DC Comics character Kara Zor-El, Superman's uh, Kal-El's cousin, who, after 12 years of keeping her powers a secret on Earth, decides to finally embrace her superhero abilities or superhuman abilities and be the hero she was always meant to be. That's a little bit of a recap of what I just read, but now we're going to get into the <laughs> into the, the real stuff. Uh, 12-year-old Kara escaped the Doom planet Krypton with her parents' help at the same time as the infant Kal-El. Protected and raised on Earth by her foster family, the Danvers, Kara grew up in the shadow of her foster sister, Alex, and learned to conceal the phenomenal power she, she shares with her famous cousin in order to keep her identity a secret. Years later, at 24, Kara lives in National City, assisting media mogul and fierce taskmaster Cat Grant. She works alongside her friend and IT technician, Wynn Schott, and famous photographer, James Olson, who Grant just hired away from the Daily Planet to serve as her new art director. However, Kara's days of keeping her talents a secret are over when Hank Henshaw, head of a super secret agency where her sister also works, enlists her to help them protect the citizens of National City from sinister threats. Though Kara will need to find a way to manage her newfound empowerment with her very human relationships, her heart soars as she takes to the skies as Supergirl to fight crime, unquote. So this actually aired on October 26, 2015. So this was uh, quite some time ago. <laughs> so we're going to have to really kind of go back uh, to put ourselves in that uh, that time period. Uh, but I, you know, I guess uh, when you watch the episode, maybe it'll take you back just, you know, in a nostalgia frame of mind. Remember when. Right. <laughs> uh, so, Morgan, uh, I'm very curious because um, I've discussed the pilot on Supergirl Radio, uh, but that was back during uh, what we refer to as the Teresa Giacino era of Supergirl of course, Radio. Of course. Great so, time. Uh, <laughs> This is a good time. It was a good uh, period of the podcast. Um, so you were not with us as a full-time co-host of Supergirl Radio. So we did not get your thoughts on the actual uh, pilot. So I was curious if we could do a little bit of a pilot pod here for <laughs> Supergirl. Sure, of course. And uh, I guess the first thing that we should start with are the uh, introductions of our main characters. So what stood out to you about the, the way everyone was introduced? I don't know if you want to go down the list or just kind of uh, talk about who, who stuck out to you. But what did you think about the introduction of the characters? Yeah, I like the way that they introduced Kara. We, we meet her before she's Supergirl, before she's kind of like 
taken on that mantle um, before she saves Alex in the plane, a iconic Supergirl moment. Uh, and we just see her as a sort of just Cara Danvers. We get her backstory and then like, we're just kind of her in her modern day, which is uh, getting coffee for Cat Grant and knowing when she's coming up the elevator and, uh, <laughs> and trying to, trying to just kind of live a normal life. Um, and I thought that was really, it was really interesting. I remember when the, um, when the trailer came out for, for the Supergirl TV show and a lot of people were a little bit down on it because it was kind of like, what are they doing? Supergirls like the devil wears Prada. And there is a little bit of that in like maybe the first 10 minutes or so of the pilot where it's like, it's just me, a plucky girl in the city trying to get by. <laughs> but I, I kind of like that aspect because it does differentiate how her, how she is when she's Supergirl and, and you know, her, her daily life is not super exciting. She doesn't have a lot of respect. She, you know, is not taken all that seriously by Cat Grant. Cat Grant can't even remember her name. She calls her a bunch of different things. I think it, in, including is it is it Kira in this one? I, or is that I, a different one? I can't remember. Somebody fact check us in the live chat, but I think in the pilot she just calls her Kara, which is oh. a, a sort of a play. I don't think I heard Kira when I was rewatching it. Um, so someone might be right us. but I, I, I thought if that, if that is true, I think it's cool because it's the car versus Kara debate that a lot of people have because some, some iterations of, uh, and adaptations of Supergirl call her Kara, some call her Kara. Um, so I think it's cool that, uh, if that's the case, Kat saying Kara when it's actually Kara is very funny. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right, actually, because I, I think I remember thinking like, oh, she didn't call her Kira. Uh, she just but she still doesn't get it right. Like, Kara <laughs> <laughs> uh, just doesn't have like a, a lot of respect. Um, and her life seems like fine and and enjoyable, but not all that exciting. And so I like that when we're introduced to, you know, the drama of Will she decide to like, will she go and save her sister? What's going to happen with that? And, uh, and then her embracing her powers and, and getting the costume and all of that. I thought that this is a really strong pilot actually. And it's a great introduction to, uh, to Kara and to Supergirl. Um, and I really, I really liked it. I, I liked the way that they introduced the character and the way they introduced a lot of the relationships. I think that the the sister relationship is introduced really well in this in this pilot, including some of the you know some of the conflicts that they've had along the way and some of the drama that. Uh, and I also love obviously the uh, the fact that she doesn't know that Alex. It doesn't seem like she knows that Alex is working at the DEO. No, she doesn't know until she's shot with kryptonite. <laughs> it's a it's a very Alias moment. Uh, I don't know if you ever watched Alias, but like spoiler alert in the uh, the first episode uh Jennifer Gardner's character finds out her dad has been like a, a spy this whole time and he goes you know uh I don't sell airplane parts I never sold airplane parts and uh <laughs> <laughs> I like that we got that with uh, with Cara and Alex in this in this episode where she finds out that her sister who she thought she knew has had this kind of double life where she's uh working for the DEO and like she's a kind of a special agent and i think that that's a really cool introduction to alex as well and and some of the conflicts of um of alex feeling like uh she wasn't as special or that that uh, cara got extra treatment and and alex wondering if she got 
you know, if she got recruited to the DEO because of just because of Kara uh, and then finding out from from Hank that uh, or Hank air quotes, but um, that, you know, it was because of Kara that she got into the DEO, but it was because of her that she stayed in the DEO. And I was like, ah, oh, space dad. <laughs> <laughs> He's not space dad just uh, quite just yet, but uh, but that's a good start to their relationship. So uh, I'm curious. Actually, let's maybe take some stuff from the chat. Um, Lindsay says, Kat said, Kara, uh, which I think is how Lindsay's pronun- pronouncing that. And uh, Hegelblast says, uh, this was the first show to use this pronunciation of uh, Kara. Prior movie shows use the Kara pronunciation. Um, that's correct. So uh, so Smallville used Kara. Uh, Justice League Unlimited used Kara. So um, uh, Kara was what uh, was used on TV for a long time. Uh, but of course, Supergirl, the movie used Kara. And so that's what they pulled from for Supergirl. Um, so uh, I'm curious, Morgan, though, like when you were uh, going, if you can remember back to when this first aired, uh, what what was your first impression of Melissa Benoist and the way she played Kara? Did you have any uh, uh, thoughts about when she first came on and how she embodied the character? Well, it's, it's funny because I was thinking back to watching this pilot and then I realized that I maybe watched this pilot a little earlier than other people. Do you remember? <laughs> I do, do remember, remember that this, it leaked. <laughs> this whole pilot got leaked onto the internet. And I'm not saying I watched it. I'm no, not saying you, I found it somewhere. You wouldn't say that. But perhaps someone handed it to me. Perhaps <laughs> it just appeared before me. Uh, <laughs> so when I watched it on CBS, it had been like the second time I, I watched it. But I just remember how much I liked that pilot. Um and all, a lot of it was because of Melissa Benoist. I, I remember watching it and going like, well, she's perfect. Um, and I didn't have a ton of background in Supergirl stories. I had like Smallville and like little st- things here and there, but I wasn't like a Supergirl expert. Um, but I just remember seeing her on screen and just like the energy she brought to that role um, as Kara and as Supergirl. It was just so, uh, so light and... Um, and I don't know, like cheerful, but she had the ability to have like a lot of uh, pathos and like a lot of uh, like trauma from her past. And like, you could really feel that. Um, but that hope that is so integral to the character really shines through. I think Melissa Benoist, in my opinion, is is like the, the Supergirl um, portrayal to me. And I think is going to be kind of the one to be, and it's probably going to be the Supergirl I think of whenever I think of Supergirl. Not that the other Supergirls weren't great. <laughs> Love them. Love them. <laughs> but uh, Melissa Benoist was just so good. She just kind of like, uh, I can say a lot about the, C- the CW uh, superhero shows. And not all of it would be good. But the one thing... <laughs> The one thing I would say is that their casting department is good. Their casting department is real good because Grant Gustin uh, is perfect and Melissa Benoist is perfect. And they're just uh, she's just such a good Supergirl. And she is right out of the gate. Like in the first minute of the pilot, I was just like, oh, yeah, this that's Supergirl. Yeah, I uh, I, w- I was struck by uh, uh, watching it for the first time. 
And also in this rewatch, I rewatched it before we went live tonight uh, again. And uh, there, there's a moment in the pilot where she catches the plane, but she's also trying to steer it in a way that gets everybody to safety. And she realizes she has to go through a bridge. Oh, yeah. And she's like, <laughs> oh, come on. And that that bit of Supergirl's characterization even though that seems very small, like a small detail or a small characteristic of her, her personality that stood out to me when I watched it for the first time. Cause Supergirl prior to the show was uh, always very, uh, I hate to say the, I feel like I say these words all the time when I talk about Supergirl, but like either plucky or brash or um, kind of a, uh, just kind of a, a impulsive kind of a character, a little bit more than Superman is. Superman is usually thought of as like having it all together and doing all the right things at the right time. And Supergirl, you know, she kind of has to figure it out. And so that uh, moment from the pilot always really stood out to me. And just rewatching it again, I was like, oh, I know we're not maybe, I don't know if in this rewind, if we want to put our our cumulative uh, <laughs> uh, perspective on all the rest of the seasons onto these season one episodes. I guess we could, we can look back. Yeah. We are rewinding it, but, um, but I missed that about Supergirl's personality later on in the seasons. I guess once she starts to grow, she, you know, she, she doesn't have as much of that sort of brashness to her, but in those early episodes of the show in season one, she definitely has that. And to me, that's very Supergirl. Yeah, I know some of the early episodes are all about her, like, messing things up and figuring things out. And you can see that in this episode. Yeah, that moment in the bri- with the bridge and the plane did really make me laugh. Like, she thought she was just like, okay, I've got it. Oh, no, I have to go this way through the bridge. And it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a, But it's also, it's a very, like, human, um, relatable moment. Like, she she doesn't have it figured out right away, like, the first time she does it. And I, I think those moments and like the moment where she's excited and she's talking to Alex and she's like, I didn't even, I wasn't even sure if I could fly anymore. And like I did, and it was, it felt so great. And, uh, and even at the end of the pilot, when she sort of like, you know, goes into the air and she's really excited to be flying. It's like those little moments really make her so endearing. I think to the audience that, you know, if you could fly, you'd probably be psyched about it too. And so is she. Uh, (laughs) And I think that, yeah, that makes her a little bit different than some of the other characters, Uh, just the joy she takes in the, in this pilot of, you know, rediscovering her powers that she's kind of ignored for so long. So we talked about Supergirl uh, and Supergirl's great. Uh, She's in a lot of the pilot. Uh, She she really carries, I think Melissa really carries the pilot Um, and she's, she's a, a pretty pitch perfect. I would, uh, I would (laughs) say, and we talked about Alex. Uh, So Morgan, I am curious about what your thoughts are on Kat Grant in the pilot. Oh, I love Kat Grant. She is so much uh (laughs) (laughs) she's somebody who you love on television but would probably not want to hang out with too much in real life (laughs) 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 she'd just be exhausting you'd be like uh we've known each other for five years my name is not megan uh, and i'm (laughs) 
I'm not getting you a no foam latte. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I like how they establish her right away. She's this very like Miranda Priestly Devil Wears Prada character. She's got her own elevator just because she doesn't like she doesn't like other people's perfumes and colognes uh just barking orders at people and uh i i i love her i think this uh, this pilot establishes her really well i think that the only moment i really c- cringed a little bit was I, and I forgot how much they were like girl power and this uh, this first, a girl is a superhero get out of here and she's like <laughs> what you, you think I can't take you because I'm a girl? And it's like, okay. It was uh, a little thick in parts, yeah. It was a little thick. And I was like, this came out in 2016 or was this 96? Like when? No, no <laughs> when, this aired in 2015. 2015. Okay. Well, it was a different time, I guess. <laughs> it just, you could have, some of those lines you could have told me were like from like the early 2000s or the 90s and I would have believed you like when well, the Spice Girls were spicing up your life. <laughs> we have to remember though that this was at a time where uh, there the argument for Supergirl being on television was a tough one to make. Supergirl's a film had been a failure and kind of a laughing stock even though I will defend it till this day <laughs> that I will defend that film. Um, but uh, it was a little bit of a tougher sale or a sell, I guess, uh, a tougher sell to have a, this was back before Batwoman was on TV. Now it's, now it's just kind of commonplace. Naomi, Batwoman, all those uh, characters, uh, She-Hulk is going to have a TV show. Jessica Jones had a TV show. Um, but Supergirl was kind of coming in as like the first one, except for, you know, the Linda Carter Wonder Woman TV show yeah. in the 1970s. But it's been but, so long. <laughs> yeah. So it was it was a little bit of a tougher sell at this point because it hadn't really been proven as a success like the Birds of Prey TV show kind of came and went and even though i think it was ahead of its time it was very short lived <laughs> um so we have to i guess put it in that context that back then it was that's, something that you had true. to prove yeah. and it was also like the beginning of the superhero wave it, we weren't like mid wave or crest of the wave wherever we are <laughs> now where every show is really a superhero show if it believes I, in I, I think enough. I'm shipwrecked on an island somewhere I've already a, I've already wiped out <laughs> there's so many of them uh, I used to be like man it's so cool that there's this like one superhero show like comics are cool and now it's like every show is a superhero show and I'm just crying I can't keep up with all of them <laughs> but this was like early days there was like really only I think like the flash was on and Arrow, and like there was only a couple other shows. Really, this was the beginning of the Berlanti verse, uh, not like the end. So, yeah, to your, I think you make a really good point. Where there weren't a bunch of female-led superhero shows. In fact, I remember that this came out a little bit after, or a little bit before, or somewhere around the time of Jessica Jones, because I remember there being a lot of like. Uh, compare and contrast articles, despite the fact that those are two very different television shows. Yes. Very different heroines <laughs> in different universes with different audience. And I was like, they were like, oh my God, Jessica Jones is like so great. And like uh, Supergirl is is going for like a like a, a different thing. It's like, well, well, yeah, Jessica <laughs> Jones is like a, a show 
aimed at adults. Yeah. <laughs> like, adult adults. Like, what are you talking about? So there was still like, well, if there's two lady shows, obviously they're competition, maybe over a boy. Yeah. Uh, so, so, to be fair okay i was i've been a little i was a little harsh when i was rewatching this on the you know the well why is it bad she's a girl speech and i was like because she's a grown adult woman uh but <laughs> i and i i feel like for that 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 whole scene was trying to because they underlined that like she's her name is supergirl even though she's a woman, she's an adult woman, um, you do kind of go like, does that explanation make a lot of sense? Uh, like, like um, she just kind of, she just kind of shamed her until she was like, I guess being a girl is good. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it would have been better if, if Kat Grant had just been like, we market tested this actually and girl tested higher so that's what it is because that's the kind of character she is anyway yeah i think that would have been a better explanation uh hagelblast in the chat says uh, they had to address the girl versus woman terminology uh maybe they overdid it but the issue had to be addressed somehow um yes because uh i think i one of my reasons for uh thinking that they had to do that was because they borrowed so much from the Sterling Gates run of Supergirl. And in that run, Supergirl comes into contact with Lucy Lane, who becomes Superwoman. So you can't oh. call her Superwoman if there's another character named Superwoman. So they had to justify why she is called Supergirl. But to your point, Morgan, I think using it like a focus group or some sort of market research would have been a better justification for for it instead of what what they did in the scene. So Donna does give a correct me a little bit. So Supergirl premiered in October and then Jessica Jones premiered in November. So they were about a month apart. So that was why there was suddenly a lot of like discussions about like, well, which one did you like better? And it's like, well, what if I just liked both of them? Cause they're very different. And they're like, yeah. no, no, you must pick one. And like, <laughs> Why? <laughs> <laughs> I do remember a lot of those articles came out around that time and it was very frustrating. It's like you can only like one female superhero. Which do you get? And then it's like a couple like a not even a decade later, there are three Spider-Men in the movie. And it's like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, that that was kind of the time period we were living in during this pilot time. when it aired. <laughs> yeah. Um, so did you have any thoughts about um, uh, David Harewood or Makad Brooks or uh, Jeremy Jordan from the pilot? Well, I love that we get introduced immediately to uh, Teresa Giacino, TM, uh, what was it, James, James the Grown Man Olsen. <laughs> yeah. He establishes straight away, listen. My name is not Jimmy. Jimmy is the name of a child. My name is <laughs> my name is James. Look at me. I'm James. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, I, I I love it. Set your clear boundaries, James. Tell tell him what your name is. Um, but yeah, I think that the idea of like hunky Jimmy Olsen uh, was something that they were like struggling with where they were like well he's jimmy olsen but he's also sexy and it's like <laughs> i mean those things aren't complete contradictions his name could just he could just be jimmy olsen 
and also be hot. Like it's you don't have to step away from the from the comic character for that. Like the only things that are really established about Jimmy Olsen is that like he knows Superman and he's a photographer. There's nothing inherently unsexy about being a photographer. <laughs> and yet they were like, this isn't this isn't your grandma's Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> It's like okay, okay, everyone, calm down. I did, I did like that. Like immediately, Car is like, "Hello." <laughs> she got the wapow pretty early on. The wapow, yeah, exactly. She's like, "Awuga." Uh, <laughs> uh, I I like the idea that the that Clark sends Jimmy or excuse me, James, uh, to National City to look after Kara because James is like, I just want to break out on my own. And Clark's like, cool, real quick, uh, real quick thing that you could do for me, though, while you're there, while you're there. I know I never look in on my cousin. Um, <laughs> And I never have. Could you though? <laughs> I'm starting to. <laughs> I've I've gone to a little bit of therapy, Lois and I, and I'm starting to feel bad about uh, abandoning a 12 year old. So <laughs> you'll just take care of that for me, bro. Right? That's what bros are for. And James is like, I guess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I I like the uh, I like the the backstory of James being there to kind of look out for her and sort of break out on his own, uh, break out a Superman shadow and then directly into Supergirls. Um, that, was, <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. Um, I thought Wynn was really fun in this episode because this is like really before there's a period in season one where they, they really amp up the love triangle aspect of like, mm -hmm. not even the love triangle, like the unrequited crush that he has on her. Um, to a point where it's like, we've got to let this go. Uh, and this <laughs> and this is like, he's got a little bit of a crush on her. It seems to be at like kind of a normal level. Uh, and that, that scene on the rooftop where he's like, oh, you're gay. And she's like, oh. And then jumps off the back, uh, like jumps back off the roof. That was like one of my favorite scenes from the pilot. Because to me, it established like really early on, like, we're, this is not going to be like a Smallville situation where it's like season seven and one person has learned the secret. Well, uh, it's well, sort of still. It did eventually get there. Just with a different character. Just with poor Lena, the only person <laughs> never allowed to know the secret. <laughs> Lena's like, guys, I'm over here and I, I could help. I'm really rich. I think maybe that could help. And they're a like, a little no, no. morally questionable, though. <laughs> uh, she's like, I'm really rich and I will kill for you. <laughs> you everyone's cool with that and hope is like we will kill for you uh, <laughs> yeah there were some of those aspects and i i remember uh, we've talked about it a lot how much that kind of back and forth annoyed us because i think it it, it triggered our memories of smallville um but yeah i liked like like right off the bat that they established, like she's going to have friends who are going to know who she is. And it's, there's not, it's not going to be a whole situation where like nobody in this cast knows that she's Supergirl. Um, in fact, by the end of the pilot, like most of the people who were in the main cast knew. And I thought that that was kind of refreshing. It wasn't going to be. Except for Kat. Except for Kat. But I there think. wasn't going to be a scenario where, like, yep. every episode it was, like, somebody, like, came up to her and, like, I'm really disappointed that you didn't show up. 
what's your secret, Kara? <laughs> you know, like it wasn't going to be that every single episode, which I, I, I couldn't take again. My heart couldn't do it. Although they have to address that pretty early on in the season. We will get to that in Supergirl Radio Rewind. Uh, the second maddest I've ever been at the show will oh, happen yes. around episode nine. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but we'll get there when we get there. We'll, we'll save it for, for blood bonds when we get there. Uh, but yeah, so they do uh, uh, establish right away that James and Wynn know the secret. Uh, were you surprised that James knew? I was surprised that James knew. I thought I was a little bit thrown off by that. Like, oh, okay, he already knows. Like, he knew coming in. Like, Clark was like, that's my cousin. Her name's Kara. If you could just, like, pop in on her. She's also super. Uh, so he knew even before she was, like, you know, pretty early in the super, super run. So, yeah, I thought that was a, I thought that was an interesting way to, introduce him and and we see as like the season goes along the uh the super friends you know them them taking up that like empty office in the building and stuff like that i liked i like we start to get that set up in this in this pilot like right away so like when finds out who she is because she tells him and then james already knew so she doesn't have to worry about that uh and i also love that when like right away is like okay well you need you need a superhero costume. And they do that fun montage of like some of her more questionable costumes in the, you know, in the, was it the comics or the animated, the one where like her whole midriff is out. Yeah. So those are uh, costume uh, acknowledgements, I guess, little homages to some of Supergirl's comic book iterations. So there are some where she, her midriff is showing. Uh, they had the headband in one, uh, uh, a part of that montage so that's an uh that's kind of an homage to the headband version of supergirl in the 1980s with crisis uh that whole era uh, in the pre-production of supergirl the movie she had a headband uh so there were things that they were at least kind of acknowledging in terms of the character that you know these things could have been her costume because they are in the comics, um, but uh, they they do get to what's more recognizable out of Supergirl's costume by the end of it. Yeah. And I, th I thought that they had fun with it, too. She learns that there's maybe a reason that there he at first he's like no capes. And then she realizes there might be a reason for to have a cape, some, <laughs> some aerodynamic reasons to have a cape. Uh uh, this is before she learned about the cape trips tricks. Oh yeah, this is uh, very <laughs> very long before cape tricks. Yeah, uh, but yeah, no, I really i I thought I liked that whole um, that whole bit in the pilot where she's kind of coming into her own as Supergirl and and figuring out what the Supergirl costume is going to look like by trial and error and and I think at some point they she goes to stop like a bank robbery and he's like are you bulletproof and she's like hope so uh and that's like the, that's kind of the uh you know i like that that they establish that tone for the character that's that she's just gonna try it out and hope for the best and she's she's brave and that she's uh, you know um i i guess i would say hopeful again but yeah i i, I really like the way that they they played that up i see in the comments uh, Hegel Bloss says, I think they deliberately wanted to avoid the Smallville thing of nobody knowing her identity. Instead, we got a costume montage reminiscent of the Lois and Clark pilot. So I, I do think that they were, there are a lot of nice Easter eggs in this pilot and a lot of callbacks if you had watched other super things um, that you could like pick up on. And uh, Dean Kane 
was also in the pilot. So that's that, right. That's very fitting to have a Lois and Clark esque montage with him appearing as Jeremiah Danvers. Non speaking part though. Uh, <laughs> Jeremiah Just kind Danvers. Of standing there. <laughs> uh, silent but regal, I guess. Um, before they lost him in the woods somewhere. <laughs> uh, but before they determined he was not necessary, even though he was actually an interesting character who could have had some really interesting plots, but uh, they decided they did not want him anymore. And and I saw this other uh, comment from Hegel Bless that's also really cool, which is, uh, I think Jenna Dewan said in an interview at some point that the original plan was for Lucy to eventually become Superwoman, which then definitely explains why um, the super, they maybe they wanted to even point out that the, the Supergirl name stuff in the pilot. Yeah, Lucy Lane becoming Superwoman would have been so. We good. couldn't have we couldn't have that though. God, that would have been so good. There was- there was some stuff about technology we needed to learn. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been so amazing. And it did seem like a missed opportunity since Lucy was on the show. Uh, but right yes. There. So uh, so uh, I think the only character we really haven't talked about is uh, Hank Henshaw. Because in the pilot, he's just Hank Henshaw. He's, so, uh, he's not face dad yet. <laughs> so what did you think, Morgan, about uh, David Harewood's uh, first uh, appearance as Hank Henshaw in the uh, pilot? This version of uh, John is so different than the than the John will get later on, and I, I really he's, like. He's not he's not John yet. He he's technically Hank. in the canon of the show. He is, but we don't know that yet. He's just really gruff. He doesn't seem to like anybody. He kind of likes Alex, but like, you know, he's still going to kind of put her through the ringer. He definitely doesn't seem to like Supergirl too much. Um, and so he, they really do set him up as kind of an adversarial character in this pilot, which I think is really interesting knowing what comes later that like he becomes kind of like her, her dad almost in a way they become like family, but in this pilot, he's, he's not super happy with Supergirl. He's not super nice to Supergirl either. Uh, And I, I like that. I like that they had this sort of adversarial character. It made the DEO seem like more of a, I don't know, like it could be more of a threat to Supergirl um, than it would end up later being. Uh, you're you're kind of left in like a little bit of like, is the DEO a good place? Is Hank a good person? We don't really know. Um, he doesn't seem to appreciate Supergirl and all that she's doing. He seems a little bit down on her. Um, yeah, so I, I, I like that. I like the way that they introduced him and, and that, uh, you know, spoiler alert for a thing that you hopefully have watched. But the the way that they build it up with Hank makes it seem like he might, might not be such a good person. And then, and then a a couple episodes in, that's when they do that switch and they, they introduce you to the fact that he's actually uh, John Jones. He's actually Martian Manhunter. And I remember like my mind being blown by that twist and being so excited about it. So I I like the way that they, they set it up in this one where you, you kind of don't know where you stand with him. From what I can recall, they uh, shot the pilot with him as Hank Henshaw and they were going to make him Cyborg Superman. Because in the comics, in the Death of Mm. Superman storyline, Hank Henshaw does become Cyborg Superman. But they looked at the pilot and saw David Harewood's ears and they thought, huh, he's got some really unique and awesome ears. 
he kind of looks a little bit like an alien. And I don't know if that's like a compliment <laughs> or not. It uh, feels like a very backhanded compliment, doesn't it? <laughs> but because of his ears, from what, what I remember, it was his ears that sort of gave him away. And they came up with the idea of making him Martian Manhunter based on his his physical appearance. So they sort of shifted things because I think I think they also like David Harewood as an actor. But uh, they wanted to give him something a little more, and they thought they could kind of justify it based on his physical characteristics to uh, to make him a little more alien. So uh, his so his ears, I think, gave him away. So it's it's always interesting to me that sometimes in TV, some of the best twists or turns are like just kind of happen by accident like they're not planned out it's not like um i think we like to think that these shows have this like huge show bible that they're working off of and they're like in season five you're gonna your mind's gonna be blown by this twist and so often it's you know it's them looking at uh, dailies and being like oh we love this guy like what if we just kept him around or what if we changed this this aspect or changed that aspect and so much of the tv magic that we that we imagine we like to imagine is all planned out it's really not and like think about how how good it is that they decided to go in that direction because they saw his ears <laughs> which is a weird thing <laughs> <laughs> it could have been a very different show if they decided to keep him just as hank henshaw and did not make him martian manhunter but uh yes we will see uh possibly when we get into episode two we'll we'll start to uh when we get through after after the pilot we'll start to see that progression yeah, I see another comment from uh, Hegel Bloss who says, uh, remember, he was originally supposed to be a villain and that change wasn't made until after filming the pilot. So the uh, the, the the producers on the show saw his performance and was and obviously something resonated and they thought, you know, a, a villain, you know, usually after one season, the season and done. Right. So they wanted to keep him around longer. And I think that was ultimately a great change. And it really it was one of the big surprises of the first season for me was revealing that he was actually Martian Manhunter and really made me get more into the show, more invested in the show because they pulled that twist on me. And I think without that, it wouldn't have uh, the first season wouldn't have been as good. Yeah. And you can tell that that decision had not been made in the pilot because there's a moment where uh, Hank Henshaw is talking to, I think, Supergirl and Alex at the DEO about all the aliens from Fort Ross. And he makes some comment about Ugh, immigrants. And uh, so if, if he was actually supposed to be Martian Manhunter, he wouldn't have actually said that because Martian Manhunter himself is an immigrant to Earth. Uh, so the fact that he... Um, said that uh, he was supposed to be this like alien hating Hank Henshaw, who was going to later become Cyborg Superman. So that that comment sort of gives away the, the fact that they did not have that change made yet in the pilot. Um, OK, so I am very curious um, about your perspective, having seen all of the show and now going back to the pilot. So just looking at the pilot, how do you think this first episode uh, sets up the series, sets up the characters. Do you, do you think it did a good job of like uh, justifying the show's existence and uh, giving people an insight into what this world was going to be? Yeah, I do think so. I think it did a, a great job. I think this is actually a really good pilot. You get to know the characters really well. 
Um, it sets up the world. It sets up, you know, some of the the struggles and some of the challenges that the characters are facing. I think it uh, it, it establishes the relationships in a really quick way um, that feels organic, that isn't clunky. And so often you'll watch a pilot and, you know, the one character will turn to the other and be like, hello, good day, brother. You and I have known each other our whole lives because you are my brother. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, why would you say that out of nowhere? Uh, or, you know, you'll have two characters talking and I'll be like, remember 10 years ago when we did this thing? What a time. Like, I don't think people talk that way to be fair there's a lot of voiceover narration that fills in those gaps that is true i think that the uh, the narration the beginning narration uh does a lot of heavy lifting where some of that clunky like character to character exposition would have been where instead instead of getting car talking to alex and being like well you remember you know how many years ago when i just showed up in my pod silly me and alex would have been like we were so mad uh, <laughs> or, or like whatever it was um but i do think that it sets up the sister relationship really well and and as a as a really important part of the show and i think that is really what a big part of what this show brought to the Supergirl mythology. And they, they start out really strong in the pilot where, you know, you meet the sisters and even in the pilot itself, you're getting into some of their, their conflicts and the way that they stand by each other, but they don't always get along. And, you know, they, they get into some arguments and then uh, Alex shows her, her mother's um, like crystal thing where she, talks to her and they they hold hands and Alex, you know, supports her and stands by her even though they were, you know, just getting in like a, a fight. So I think it really it really establishes that sister dynamic is really central to what this version of Supergirl is going to look like. And I think that that if nothing else, that is something that the pilot did a really great job at because it immediately got me invested in these two sisters and what their stories were going to be going forward. Yeah, I, I thought the uh, the pilot really did a good job of setting up the universe, showing you who the characters were going to be, making Kara the central character uh, in the story, and uh, showing us uh, what all of their relationships were to each other, and establishing what the the uh, the the plot of the season, the the season long arc was going to be. We knew it had something to do with Kara's aunt, and that there were these other aliens from Fort Roz, and and it sort of it was like, oh well, that's gonna that that's how they're going to have bad guys for Supergirl to fight is that these aliens from Fort Roz are going to be there. So <laughs> so I guess Morgan, mm. I don't know if you want to revisit this as well, but this is the. Um, Pre-Amadei? This is a, yeah, this is a uh, pre-Crisis world that we found ourselves in in this pilot. It did make (laughs) my head hurt a little bit um, because the show would later decide that in this, in this episode, it was like, oh, well, we can't tell about this because no one can know that aliens are real and in fact they have um they have wind pulling like a chloe sullivan and being like on my blog where i talk about how aliens are real and she's like silly guy no one knows everybody knows aliens but, but super, real. superman is except for superman is who there, is real yeah. and yeah, i don't know and, him i'm not alien. related to him yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah yeah there's there's definitely a vibe of like no one thinks that like aliens are just walking among us. They don't have their own dedicated bar downtown. And like, 
<laughs> and like the uh, the the Fort Roz aliens have kind of caught on to Kara's pod and came to Earth, and it's a big problem because aliens aren't a thing really, and these are bad aliens. And so later on, the show will just be like, aliens were here among us this whole time. Look at Amade at the Vanity Fair white party. <laughs> <laughs> Look at Amade dating Winona Ryder in the 90s. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, excuse me. Excuse me. It's just, it's such a, it's so funny to go back to season one where that was never the intention that there was like, that everybody knew that aliens were, were among us and, uh, and they were just kind of, hanging out like there was definitely no knowledge of aliens or if any knowledge of aliens it was kind of like fringe and people didn't really believe in it like maybe like obviously the DEO knew that there were aliens and when maybe suspected because he was on a lot of reddit threads or whatever but <laughs> nobody else it was like Ahmed, later on, they're like, here's Amade. He's with the movers and shakers, him and Brad Pitt. <laughs> and like, and you're like, Are you, uh, what happened in the pilot? Nobody knew anything about aliens. And now you're telling me that this guy was like uh, the alien to the stars. <laughs> I'll never we, let it go. <laughs> Daryl also reminds us that uh, Nia's hometown uh, was full of aliens as well. So Parthis mm -hmm. was kind of uh, all <laughs> Naltorian uh, folks there. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that the, the show strayed from the pilot setup. And I, I think they could have still... If they had not gone the the route that all of these these aliens existed forever and ever, they still could have done the Fort Ross alien thing, and I think they could have s still stretched that out for a, a while. Um, yeah. So I I, I, I really liked the aliens uh, coming from Fort Ross because that made a whole lot of sense to me, and I, I think that they could have made that a, a series long thing. Yeah, I like the aliens at Fort Roz. I'm not saying anything about any of the other aliens that we've encountered. Obviously, I loved Nia and her story and everything like that. But I do feel like eventually the show where aliens are, I think it starts in season two, where suddenly aliens are everywhere. Because I vaguely remember us all talking about like, wait a minute, last season, wasn't it kind of a big deal that aliens were popping up and now they have their own bar? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we were like, weren't all the aliens from Fort Ross? Like, who are these people? <laughs> uh, and, you know, we got we got our lovable scamp, Brian. Oh, yes. But, uh, but I, I do think it made Supergirl feel a little bit more unique when it was like her fighting the Fort Ross escapees and not like her going to the alien bar afterwards for a drink with all of her <laughs> alien friends. It's like, yeah, it did kind of differentiate her a little bit. And I, and I liked the, the setup of the Fort Ross aliens too, because it tied into her mom and Alora and, um, and then eventually her evil aunt whose name was Astra. Astra. Yeah. Astra. Um, and I loved Laura. It just reminded me of how much I loved Laura Bernanti. They, they later recast Laura, obviously, because Laura Bernanti thought she was going to be 
doing like one season of the show tops and uh, went off, I think, to do like a Broadway show and like wasn't available. Um, I think she also had a baby during this time. I think you're right. I think she had a baby and then she went to do Broadway and then she was just like generally unavailable. Yeah. Uh, but this the pilot just reminded me of like how good Laura Bernanzi was and how much I loved her in the first season and and how different both of those characters are, Allura and Astra and and all the family dynamics that we got in that first season, which I think that they, they also set up really nicely in the pilot, right? Like, because the, the Fort Ross escapees are there be, or were in Fort Ross because of Allura. So you uh, immediately have like a familial tie to this storyline of these, like these evil aliens that have escaped and are causing, causing trouble. And then it's, you know, it's because of her mom that they're in there it's because of her aunt that some of them are working with. So I think it was, it really tied it back to, again, I hate to say the Supergirl, which is not, which would in the later seasons not always be the case, right? Like <laughs> the villain often didn't tie back to Supergirl in any real way. Um, but in the first season, they were kind of, it was their, this its own villain setup. But it did tie into her story and it made it made the show feel like it was a lot more about Supergirl. Yeah, I th- I think by by the end with the the cliffhanger with Astra, I think it really gives a, a sense of where you're going with the villains and how that's going to cause a problem for Kara later on. And I think it, the the pilot does a really good job of setting all of that up. Um I'm curious, uh, were there any other things that when you were re-watching this pilot, were there things that stuck out to you as like surprising that you that you forgot about or that you were like, well, hang on, that doesn't jive with the rest of the show. Was there anything in the pilot that um, surprised you when you went back to rewatch it? I think it was mostly just besides the alien stuff, which did make me laugh, but I already, I kind of remembered that that was all like a muddled mess even before crisis. Um, but yeah, like some of the DEO stuff, um, just Alex's general timeline has never made any sense. Like when, where did, where did Kara think that Alex worked? I think they always played up the idea that she, to the public, she uh, portrayed herself as an FBI agent, which would make Ah, sense as to, I guess, why she would be going to Geneva and things like that. That makes more sense. Yeah, because that was a question I had where I don't I don't know if maybe it was in the pilot and I just missed it. But I don't know that they said what like Kara thought Alex was doing that comes later i can't remember which episode it is but there's a moment where she like flashes her id badge and it like hides the do and it like uh, reveals it to the fbi like it sort of um transforms into an fbi badge okay that makes sense yeah like yeah i had some questions about like Alex's backstory. And I think we've, we've well established thanks to um, a friend of the show, Nicole, that Alex's backstory has like literally never made sense in terms of like, she was either a baby genius or in school for one day uh, to get all of her certifications and then spend this many years doing this and this many years doing that. And then her forgotten years where she was drinking. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the party girl Alex, just yeah. partying but still getting like a phd or whatever what a doctorate or whatever it was so alex's timeline has never made a lot of sense so i but that was like the one question i had was was what did 
what did Kara think that Alex was doing? So FBI would certainly explain somewhat of that backstory. Yeah, and Aaron says, I think that the uh, the badge turning into an FBI badge to hide her uh, and be her cover was when the president was attacked in season two, which I think is the episode titled Welcome to Earth. Uh, so that would uh, be uh, later on. And Lindsay says, uh, Alex said she had a conference in Geneva in the pilot, which, yeah, doesn't really tell you much about, I mean, all kinds of people have conferences. But that must be pretty important for her to go all the way to Geneva for a conference. Uh, yeah. And I guess this would have been before uh, Zoom meetings when you could have <laughs> virtual conferences. Clearly, you had to pay for that airfare back then. <laughs> uh, Lindsay said uh, Eliza thought she worked in a lab. So it does make me question, like, what was what was her cover story? I wish I kind of wish that the pilot had at least had a line in there about what her cover story was. Well, she did work in a lab in the pilot. She had a lab coat on at the DEO. She was doing something with a vial uh, and some like blood work. So she was kind of doing that. That's true. That's true. Alex is, is sort of a jack of all trades. What do you need <laughs> Alex to be doing? She's got it. <laughs> also from the chat, Emma says, I think the fake bad shows up during a season one during a chat with Max. I think that's right too, but I can't remember the exact uh time or episode when that happens um there was something that really uh surprised me when i went back to rewatch it was um so there's a a, a big talk between Kara and cat about the national city tribune so when we oh, first yeah. when we first see Kara, she's walking with coffee in hand with a copy of the tribune an edition of the tribune under her shoulder and she goes in to have a talk with cat and cat is going to fire a whole bunch of people uh from the national city tribune and the whole reason that uh cara is trying to get the whole supergirl thing established well not the whole reason but one of the reasons is because she wants to save the jobs of the people who work at the National City Tribune. So I'm curious, Morgan, what are your thoughts on that? Because I don't think they mentioned the fact that CatCo is a magazine in the pilot. They Did you they get might, any sense of that? They might say something about how CatCo is everything, like uh, close your eyes and make a wish, and that's what CatCo is. <laughs> <laughs> I think they are like, they're like, oh, yeah, like Cat is the queen of all media, and it's like a media conglomerate. I don't, they weren't real specific though about what it was. Yeah. So that did make me go, like, wait, well, why would that, you know, they make a big deal about that was one of Cat's first acquisitions, right? Was the Tribune. Um, yeah, but, the Tribune was her first acquisition. Yeah, and uh, and and Kat makes a, a point that, like, well, we we can't be like the Daily Planet. We can't be like that Lois Lane uh, <laughs> because we don't have our own superhero here to sell papers, which, if you think about it a little bit, is kind of a, it's a very, like, predatory way of getting <laughs> Supergirl to show off. It's just like, <laughs> well, I don't want those people to lose their jobs. I guess I gotta like put a cape on while I do my do-gooding. <laughs> I just thought it was really interesting because they don't they don't really talk about the National City Tribune in that uh in that much of a substantial way. The the rest of the show, it's usually in the rest of the series, it's about Cat Code magazine. They, they sometimes will talk about the newspaper, but the Tribune is like the focus, I think, in my opinion, in the pilot. So I was really kind of shocked by that. I was like, oh, 
wow, they're really talking about the Tribune like it matters in this pilot. Like that was supposed to be uh, more of a focus for that. But they also had James doing layouts, which I don't yeah. know necessarily were newspaper out, uh, layouts. So it's it's a still confusing in the pilot about what CatCo is. Yeah, what is what is James? He's the artistic director or something like that of, uh, of yes, CatCo? Yes, he's the art director. Of, of whatever CatCo is, um, <laughs> whatever it chooses to be that week. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I had some questions about the Tribune thing too. Um, cause I was like, have, do we ever hear about this? Do we ever hear about it again? I don't think so. Did if those we, people lose their jobs? We don't know. <laughs> if, well, I assume that when Supergirl comes around and they start making a little money, I, I can't remember if they say that, that cat doesn't fire those people, but I, I kind of just assumed uh, in rewatching the pilot that Supergirl maybe saved their jobs a little bit. Uh, Cause the Tribune does stick around. Like we know the Tribune exists in the world of Supergirl after the pilot, but it's rarely mentioned. So I guess maybe we'll, We'll have to keep our eye on the Tribune as as we progress through season one <laughs> and our rewind to see if it gets mentioned again. Um, the only other thing I wanted to mention that is such a small thing about the pilot, um, because it, this did air on CBS. It it, it was uh, it was uh, backed by a lot of CBS money. Uh, which they had a lot of, and it definitely looks like a very uh, uh, budget-rich pilot. Uh, I mean, the sequence with the plane and Auto Bender Bridge. I mean, you would not see something like that on the CW. It just wouldn't. <laughs> it just wouldn't happen because they would have a smaller budget. Um, but there's there's a moment with Kara and Alex in Kara's apartment that I thought was really interesting because I I don't remember seeing much of this, if any, after that. But um, there's a there's a little bit of a background where it looks like there's like a neon flashing light in the back and and it makes national city from Kara's window from her apartment seem like a real place like she's in a real apartment overlooking a real city and that's such a small minute detail but i don't remember seeing much uh of that after the pilot or even once they go to the cw but to me that was a small detail that i thought Somebody made a choice for that, and it. I think it. It did make a difference. It made the city come alive. Yeah, I agree. I, I you could see the budget in this pilot, uh, certainly compared to some of the later seasons when the budget was getting thinner and thinner and thinner, and they were having to do more with less. Um, this pilot looks really good. The effects look good. Everything looks good. It's like, it, it's it's a. You could see that they had budget and they spent it uh, back then. Yeah, uh, so so those were the things I think that stuck out to me in terms of the rewatch about um, the the differences that maybe we we saw later on. But uh, I, I I thought the the pilot was pretty solid. Was there anything else before we kind of wrap up our discussion that you wanted to to mention about the the pilot and rewinding back to it? Um, so I wanted to pull up this comment from uh, Hegel Blass, who's been uh, leaving like a lot of really great uh, tidbits in here. Um, who they say in the pilot car's apartment was filmed on location and you can see the real LA skyline out the window. After that, it's a studio set. So that's why that makes that's a ton why of it looks sense. So good. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a real place because it is a real place. 
Uh, so yeah, so that explains it. So I, I just like that attention to detail because I think that really does make a difference. Uh, so I have a, a nice, uh, cool uh, question from CM Gutierrez 74, who says, did knowing how the series ended affect how you experienced the pilot? I'm, I'm going to let you go first, Morgan, since this rewind is really about your thoughts. I mean, we we both went through the whole process together. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I mean, it kind of did. I, I think it kind of did, actually. Um, I was I was really looking at it through having seen the whole series and knowing where Carr ends up from the beginning of the show to the end of the show and um, and seeing her sort of. You know, we we see her one of her uh, what's quests or whatever it is with the uh, the, oh, totems, the totems is that that at at this point in the pilot, right? She was supposed to, according to the totem, reveal her identity, which doesn't seem like it would have been a good idea then, or maybe ever. We'll never know. <laughs> um, but it, it did it did make me it did make me make me like think about you know where she ends up at the end of the show is like the editor in chief of Catco and like to see her, you know, running around giving cat her coffee and like, you know, listening for her in the elevator and being like, she's here. Uh, and uh, it, it's, it's, it definitely did give me a feeling of like, wow, the character has definitely come a long way um, from this pilot. Um, and I, but I, on the flip side, Watching the pilot made me think, wow, this show used to be about this character. And by the end, it really wasn't anymore. Uh, and it was just kind of refreshing to watch a Supergirl episode that was about Supergirl, that highlighted Supergirl and her different relationships and her, you know, her history and her powers. And it was really all about her. And, you know, by the end of the show, we we know it kind of wasn't anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, that is the case. I um I would agree that it did it did make me um think about the the ending of the show and how it did uh, circle back to the beginning. I think on the the plus side, I think the way they ended Kara with her basically becoming the new cat at Catco uh, paid off that scene where she's talking to to Alex at the very beginning about how she's frustrated about her job and she's just fetching layouts and coffee and she wants to make a real difference and that's Catco was how she thought she was going to make a difference. And I think that that's, that's paid off by the end of the show, um, by what she decides to do with her career and her secret identity. But I think it does... In some ways, when I was rewatching the pilot after having seen the ending, especially with the totem and the the whole idea that like the the courage totem was telling her that she should have revealed her identity that night uh, when she first saved the plane. I think if I'm honest with you, and I always try to be, uh, it did ruin that moment that sequence <laughs> in the pilot for me a little bit because that. That sequence when she saves the plane is like my favorite part of the whole pilot. It's oh, the most exciting. I think it's so well done because Carr is so determined. She's got to save her sister and she doesn't know if she can remember how to fly. And they do such a good job where she's like running. She's running down that alley and she's like, she kind of lifts off the ground a little bit, but she doesn't get it. So she keeps running. And then finally she takes off and she has to do all that stuff where she's gripping the plane and like she said like her hands are digging into the the metal or the steel of the plane oh yeah it's so it's, good it's such a good sequence and 
in my opinion, that's one of the all-time great like superhero TV show sequences is Kara saving the plane um, in, in the pilot of Supergirl. And to, to know that the show wanted me to believe that in the midst, in the midst of that whole sequence, Kara then had to have a moment of, do I tell people who I am? It doesn't exactly on, on an emotional level for me as a viewer, I don't like it because I like the idea that Kara had to progressively figure all of that out as a hero instead of having to make that decision that night, the first night she does something super heroic. And also, I don't think it works in terms of the story because Kara, when she goes home, she's so excited about being, you know, this this hero who did something uh, amazing and she's having to deal with the, the, the stuff with Alex. And Alex is kind of talking to her about, hey, you know, this may not be a good idea. And the idea that Kara would have had to make that decision that night is something that I don't necessarily buy. So it does ruin it a little bit for me uh, going back and rewatching it because it does take away from the excitement of the newness of all of that for Kara. So I hate to say that, but it, but it, it honestly does. Yeah, no, I, I a hundred percent agree. I think it undercuts that great moment in the pilot by, by knowing that the future of the show makes, uh, thinks that you should think that she should have done something different in that moment. Like in the future and season six of the show, it's telling you that she should have been like, yes, it was me, Cara Danvers who saved that plane. Like what was she supposed to do? Like write it in a marker on the plane. Cara was here. Like, <laughs> with, a Z, with a Z, with a Z. A U Z. Yeah, of course. Of course. She's, a, she, she's a cool youth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. They undercut arguably the best moment maybe of the whole show, but certainly of the pilot by saying, well, you know, really, I'm going to backseat drive for a second and you should have done this. <laughs> it's like, get out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> I, think, I think that moment was perfect as is. I think the idea that she should have just like told everybody right then and there, like what her name was before she even figured out a superhero identity or like started being a superhero could have maybe even undercut her being able to be a superhero at all. So I think that's just crazy. And remind me about season six with the courage totem. Cause I think I've repressed a little bit of it since, since uh, season six ended, <laughs> but didn't they have a scene where like Kara was faced with this like guy in the alley that like, maybe she should have told him that she was superhero. Yeah. It's like, what, why this random guy in an alley? Why would Why? she need to tell this guy that she, by the way, <laughs> by the way, I saved that plane uh, over you, Auto Bender Bridge. That was me. Did, did you see that plane? That was me. That was me. I just want you to know. Random <laughs> guy who's never going to play a, a significant part. I know. In this it, it feels like the totem was like, you don't hype yourself up enough. <laughs> <laughs> the totem was like, Kara. I love you, but do you love you? 
<laughs> maybe the totem just like was had been reading like a lot of self-help books that mm-hmm. day mm-hmm. and was just like, you should acknowledge your own greatness. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, none of the none of the totem stuff made any sense to me. So yeah, in hindsight, I wish that the totem stuff had kept its grubby little mitts off of season one. Yeah. And certainly off of that great moment in the pilot. Cause I don't, I don't want it. I don't want it. <laughs> yeah. I understand the temptation. And I think the decision to go back to the pilot and bring everything full circle, I think is a good one. Um, but messing with that sequence is maybe not what, where they should have landed on that. I don't know that that was the right choice, but I like the decision to try to circle, circle back to the beginning but yeah i it's tough to to rewatch it now based on the the courage totem yeah and and that's why you know you want to think things through before you decide to circle back around on your like mostly universally beloved pilot to like say <laughs> to like to critique the actions of your main character 6 years later yeah, it's uh, not the best. Uh, let's see. In the chat, uh, Lindsay says, I don't I don't think she failed until she saved the guy from the mugging and wouldn't let him see her face. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's kind of what I'm remembering. I just like who cares? Who cares about that? I'm, I, I know that sounds callous, but like who cares <laughs> about that random guy with the mugging? Who cares? Who cares? Um. Uh, and then uh, CM Gutierrez 74 says in the pilot, Kat had told Kara that she needed to take credit for big things or else she will be left at the bottom. That aligns with the lesson of the courage totem. That would have been a good thing. You had you had Kat back in the, the finale, so you could have brought that conversation full circle. That would maybe have been a better choice and would have been a, a, a better connection for um, Supergirl and Kara's uh, progression. Um yeah, I just, uh, yeah, I, I, it was weird watching it because I did think about that moment with the guy <laughs> in the alley with the mugging while all, all of that was happening. Instead of just enjoying the fact that Kara was doing something heroic, it made me think about the stupid totems. Uh, so <laughs> it was very disappointing. All right, so I guess uh, just to wrap up our, our rewind of the pilot. Uh, so Morgan, do you think this pilot... Uh, sets out does a good job like if you were gonna score it in a pilot pod what are your thoughts how how did the pilot uh shake up for you i think this is a really good pilot i think it's fun to watch it's not exposition heavy it's not awkward and clunky um they they've really established the characters pretty well straight off the bat like you get a good idea of of who people are and like what they're like without you know having some characters be like oh when you're so you know (laughs) without having a character tell another character what they're like all the time so that like the audience knows uh which is always a a pilot thing that sometimes happens um i mean there was a little bit of that it's a pilot so it's always going to happen but i think that they really did establish all these characters really well and they established the themes that would run through this season and also some of the themes that would run through the entire show. I think the, uh, the sister relationship between Alex and, and Kara uh, was a big deal in season one, but certainly was hope sometimes a big deal throughout the rest of the show (laughs) when it was good. It was a big deal throughout the rest of the show. And I think establishing those relationships that she has with her friends and those relationships that she has with her family 
Um, I think it did a really good job with that and it did a good job with setting up, you know, what was going to happen down, down the line in the season. And I think maybe most importantly, it set up the main, it set up Supergirl and also kind of set the tone of the show. Like what, this is who Supergirl is. This is what she's like. This is what the show is going to be like for the most part. And I think, you know, in terms of at least season one, I think it, it it's a pretty accurate depiction of what the show is. And and honestly, kind of is for a while. I think, you know, Kara really does drive a lot of the heart of the show and the tone of the show. And so I think you get a, a really good feel for that in the pilot. Yeah, uh, viewers, viewers know my thoughts on the uh, viewers and listeners, I guess, mostly more <laughs> listeners, because uh, back in, when we discussed the pilot back in the Teresa Gicino era, it was audio only. So it would just be <laughs> listeners. Uh, but listeners would already know my thoughts on the pilot and what I felt about it. But um, rewatching it, I just think it's a really solid pilot. It's a, a really great pilot. It does do a good job of establishing the world and the characters and where they're going to go and the tone of it, like you mentioned. Um, so and and the character of Supergirl, and I think it did a good job. It had to acknowledge Superman a little bit um, <laughs> because that he's he's kind of the uh, the elephant in the red boots in the room. Uh, so uh, they they had they had to acknowledge her relationship with him, even though in the Superman and Lois pilot, there's no mention of Supergirl whatsoever. But in in the Supergirl pilot, they did need to make that connection to Superman just to help, I think, ease people into the Supergirl mythology. Um and I think that's a, a smart move because then you can you can acknowledge him and then kind of do your own thing after that. And it's really interesting to me because when I was in Metropolis, Illinois for one of, I think maybe my first, I don't know if it was my first or second Superman celebration, but I was asking people about Supergirl and uh, what they thought of Supergirl. And a lot of people said, oh, well, she's Superman's cousin. And that was kind of all they knew about her. So um, so they had to acknowledge that because that's what most people think about when they think about Supergirl is that she is his cousin. But what I like about the pilot is that it it gets there and then it starts to move on and establish her as her own character. And I, I really appreciate that about the pilot. Um, so, yeah. So good to revisit it uh, and to remember what season one was like. And so as we progress into our rewind, we'll get to to watch more of season one and see how it uh, progresses. If if it if we remember it uh, correctly, <laughs> or if there are things about it that we um, we reconnect as we go through, or maybe things like uh, at the end of the show might come back in season one and uh, uh, sort of jolt some things. Uh, Season six might jolt a few things about season one, uh, but we'll have to see when we get there. But thank you, Morgan, for uh, going back in time with me and uh, re <laughs> revisiting season one. Always a good time with those episodes. Okay, I think I, that might bring us to some listener feedback. It uh, it might just do that. Yeah. Uh, so Daryl wrote in with some thoughts on the pilot saying it's established right from the start how bad Kara is at lying and I never thought it was a necessary aspect to her character. There's simply no reason she should have stumbled on her answer to the question of where she was uh, from where oh there's simply no reason she should have stumbled on her answer to the question of where she was from on her date with that guy. 
Uh, did anyone else think Superman was kind of a jerk in the first season? I mean, he has the Fortress of Solitude, but he never told Kara about it. She had to find out from Alex when he was the one who should have told her about it. How often did he even visit her in Midvale? He's essentially trusting her development to a family of humans who, while they might have helped him with his powers, it's not like he was living under their roof. Alex tell, even tells Kara in season two that he essentially abandoned her, and I can't disagree. Um, did Alex ever thank Kara for saving that plane she was in? Also, instead of just telling her the truth, Alex allows Kara to get shot out of the air with kryptonite darts. I know they're a big, uh, they're a big family with John now, but I never liked how he got away with that. At the end of the episode, when James and Kara are on the Catco roof, he says, don't you have to go up, up and away? It's at the beginning of the workday and Kara goes flying around the city instead of heading back downstairs to her cat co job, which just sets up a major precedent uh, president for seasons to come about Kara uh, not caring about her cat co work. Uh, the heat vision special effects were pretty good. When Alex says she was glad that Kara decided not to use her powers, I got the impression that it wasn't a decision that Kara made, but rather one that was made for her. How long did the DEO have the hologram of Allura? Would they have ever had Alex give it to Kara if different circumstances had happened? Um, I found it disheartening how fast Astra ordered the death of Kara. Prison changes you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's amazing how aliens were such a secret in season one, but such a part of everyday life in season two. A good pilot overall. Uh Daryl mentions uh, in his feedback uh, the guy that Kara goes on the date with. Morgan, I wanted to know your thoughts about her date and how that goes south uh, for her. Uh, what, what were your thoughts on that guy that she met up uh, on that date? Like, I don't understand what that guy was there for, really. Like, she says two words to him, and he's like, <laughs> I've got to go. And it's like, what? What do you, you didn't even speak to this woman, and now you're leaving? Like, what, what part of that date made you leave? <laughs> and he uh, wants to get the, the hostess or the waitress's digits yes. before he leaves. What a jerk. Yeah, she should have swiped the opposite way on that guy. <laughs> what a jerk. I was like, I don't like you at all, sir. He he was supposed to be very compatible with her. They talked about all the al algorithms for love and everything. Those algorithms for love were not effective in her case with that dude. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing to me that uh, somebody would go on a date with Melissa Benoist and ditch her. Like, I don't why, how it. does that happen? I don't care how many, like, little glasses they give Melissa Benoist. Like, I don't buy it at all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't buy it either. Why would that guy leave a date with her? I don't understand it. It's not like she's, I, I don't know. I just, I don't understand it. Uh, I feel like they could have set that up for her to, like, say something awkward or there to be, like, a weird moment. And then he, like, tries to skedaddle. But as it was, he's like, so where are you from? She's like, oh, what do you mean? And then, and then like, five seconds later, he's like, all right, I got to go. What? Yeah, it would make more sense if she said something nerdy or something awkward and then he would decide to go that i would have bought a little more but as it is i'm like why why did he just leave i don't understand what, what did you want from this interaction sir because i don't <laughs> understand <laughs> yeah it is so strange to me that he just up and leaves um but yeah so the, i just i've always thought that guy was such a jerk and it does highlight i think it highlights two things uh one that she can uh it reinforces 
forces the idea that she can hear people from far away like she did with Kat because she does listen into his conversation and hears what a jerk he, he is. But it's also supposed to connect back to the James and when of it all in the pilot that Kara is looking for love or maybe not look. Well, I guess she is looking for love. She did yeah. go willingly on a date with this guy. Um, so it establishes that Kara is somebody who's open to a relationship and um, is uh, wanting to pursue those things. So I guess they have to establish that in the pilot uh, because they do kind of go with the the James Wynn thing for a little while. So I guess that's why that's in there. And it gives her somewhere to be when she finds out about the plane. So it serves a, a lot of purposes. <laughs> uh, but boy, that guy is such a jerk. Well, uh, thank you for that email, Daryl. And I, I guess, Morgan, would, would you like to, even though we didn't have snap judgments in season one, we could still make some snap judgments about oh, yeah. season one if you're if you're into that so let's make some snap judgments. in the game of snap judgments each person is presented with two options but must only choose one first instincts are recommended and explanations are unnecessary okay so our first snap judgment better superman related gift james's polter winning picture of Superman flying or Kal-El's baby blanket. I think I will choose a uh, Kal-El's baby blanket. At least it would Ooh. be uh, a unique gift that she could add to her collection as something that was uh, the only thing of it. Uh, the, the picture of Superman uh, James mentioned was a reprint. So she could just get that anywhere. It wasn't like the picture. It wasn't like, it wasn't like he had the, the, the photo negative or something of it. It wasn't, you know, a collector's item. It was just a reprint. He, he didn't mind giving it to her because who cares? He can get it. It wasn't the NFT of that photo. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would actually go with the photo just because I think it would be like, a nice piece for the for the for my home like it would be like it would look nice on like a nice gallery wall maybe okay. or like as a statement piece i think <laughs> I, I get the baby blanket and then i'm like what do i do i now True. have a baby blanket like i don't have a, a kryptonian child to wrap it in i don't know what to do with this but i would imagine that it's like an indestructible uh, indestructible blanket because in some stories superman's cape is uh made from the indestructible baby blanket so maybe you could use it like i don't know to go camping or something like i don't know yeah i don't know what you use the the blanket for (laughs) (laughs) like what do you i you know i don't know maybe there's like a multi-purpose aspect to the baby blanket it doesn't have to be just for babies i'm sure there's i'm sure there's a reason that you can use it for something you can you can figure something out with that baby blanket But I don't think as a as a as a fan, like if I was a Superman fan in this universe, like I was a big fan of Superman and I got that, I'd be like, uh, I'm gonna like frame that or something. I'm not gonna <laughs> do anything to harm it. This isn't even original. Jeez. <laughs> Jeez, James. <laughs> okay. Which fate is worse? Being reprimanded by Cat Grant for for stinking up her private elevator. Or being fired for suggesting Kat's branding of Supergirl isn't the right choice. I would not want to be the person who's stunk up the elevator. That's embarrassing. I, th- that, I think that's, I think that's the worst fate. Yeah. You know, 
I probably would want to keep my job though. Um, <laughs> so you would be okay with being I, the person I'll, who stunk it up a little bit. I'll, I'll stink up the elevator a little bit. That's okay. Uh, feels like cats maybe not that nice to people. And so maybe I become like a man of the people. Like maybe everybody's <laughs> like more again, more again. Uh, and, and you know, outside it went when cat like walks around a corner, everybody's like, good job. <laughs> I stuck it to the man. <laughs> you did it. Um, but uh, but I I, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't think I want to get fired for you know for questioning cat. So mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick that as the worst fate. Yeah, maybe it would go away after a while. Maybe maybe yeah. cat would move on to somebody else to to be mean. <laughs> You'd probably get like a fun new nickname out of it that would be mortifying. <laughs> but I think you could soldier on. <laughs> Everybody at Catco has a mean nickname, so you're probably, exactly. you probably you're just, wouldn't be alone. You're just one of many now. <laughs> uh, so I see we have some snap. We got some snap judgments in the chat. So I'm going to pull them up. Uh, Tiana says, uh, snap, you are Supergirl's next door neighbor. When did you figure out Kara was Supergirl in season one? Is it was it was it in season one when Alex was talking through the door from the hall? Or does it take until season six uh, in that announcement at the end of the series to figure that out? Now you're her neighbor. How long does it take you? <laughs> well, I mean, I can buy that Alex was talking through the door to Kara. The the, the thing about that whole situation is that Kara didn't need to go to the door, she could see her using the X-ray vision. But I can, I can, I can sort of buy that Alex would be talking to her through the door. That wouldn't, that wouldn't seem suspicious to me. That um, that wouldn't, that wouldn't like uh, throw you off a little. But Alex is maybe mentioning some things that might be super girlish through the door. <laughs> no, I think I would be more suspicious if I was the neighbor and I saw Kara fly into her apartment through the window. That I would be more suspicious of. So I guess according to the snap, I would have to pick the season six announcement. I'd be like, oh my gosh, my neighbor is super Oh my God, that's so crazy. (laughs) She's so generous with her sugar. Uh, (laughs) I think I'm going to go season one because I feel like I'm the kind of neighbor that if you're talking loudly out in the hallway, my ear is against the door and I'm just like, is it drama? Are you mad at each other? Uh, so I would, I would have definitely found out right away, and then I would have been like, "This is amazing." Uh, <laughs> but I would have kept the secret because I'm cool, you know. If, you, if you're doing that to Kara's apartment, you're hearing a lot of things. You're hearing too. You're probably like, "Oh, I wish she would like knock it off." <laughs> <laughs> you're hearing all those fights with Eliza and. You're probably hearing stuff with Monel that you don't want to hear that like you maybe don't want to hear. Yeah. yeah. You know what? Uh, honestly, based on my upstairs neighbor, she might be Supergirl. Because there's like, <laughs> so many things are thrown on the ground at all hours of the day and night. So, you know, maybe maybe I have a an exciting news story happening right above me <laughs> <laughs> at like 1 a.m. in the morning when I'm trying to sleep. Okay. <laughs> uh, Tiana has a second one, uh, which is you get to play your dream character on Supergirl. Are you one of Kara's uh, past friends from high school or the villain from Kara's junior high days on Krypton? Ooh. Ooh. Uh, no, I want to be best friends with car from high school i want to be like a member of her her scooby gang because she and kenny lee were like a scooby gang yeah 
I, I feel w- like I want to be brought into that. Those shenanigans. I think the Scooby gang would be really fun to be a part of, but to be a Kryptonian middle school villain, <laughs> my God, how cool would you be? <laughs> I just imagine it as actually like her friend, like maybe they were frenemies and her friend was like, my parents are totally putting in a gazebo. I see your parents <laughs> don't have a gazebo. <laughs> like that's what I imagine. Like the Kryptonian, like it's all, it's all very under the surface. It's all like, Oh, that's really cute. What you have. It's so cute. <laughs> I could never pull that off. So you're so brave. Like a lot of that. <laughs> I, I feel like it would be my time to shine as a middle school villain. <laughs> You're totally the first to go when Krypton implodes, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Car just like throws me into <laughs> into the <laughs> void. <laughs> Someone write that story. Uh, because uh, Kara would have had to deal with somebody like that because she would have been kind of that age uh, before she left Krypton. She probably had those kinds of people in her life. <laughs> that is a really interesting concept that I don't think anyone has really written stories about. <laughs> so I think someone I would should. <laughs> I would read that story of uh, Kryptonian middle school bullies on Krypton. Although there is a Supergirl uh, Cosmic Adventures in the 8th grade, which is kind of there, but not exactly on Krypton. So that would have been good to see. Well, I think that's uh, it for Snap Judgments. Yes? Yes, it is. Okay, well, thank you for making some Snap Judgments. No judgments on your snap judgments. Okay, well, that is going to do it for this episode of Supergirl Radio Rewind. So uh, before we get out of here, though, we need to get to some Supergirl Radio and some DC TV podcast plugs. If you would like to contact Supergirl Radio, you can post a comment on our website at supergirlradio.com. You can email us at supergirlradio at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, you can call us at 678-718-7252. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at Supergirl Radio. You can listen to us on on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Podchaser, and Spotify, where we also have a Spotify playlist that includes music featured on and inspired by the CW Supergirl TV series. We are listed on DC's fan page, which you can find at dccomics.com slash dc-fans. If you like what we do, we encourage you to give us a rating and write us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you enjoy our Supergirl radio live streams, make sure to subscribe to the DC TV Podcast YouTube channel and hit that notification bell to get notified when we go live and wired. DC TV Podcast also has a Tee Public store, so if you're in need of new DC TV related t-shirts, tank tops, sweatshirts, onesies, mugs, notebooks, pillows, or stickers, go to supergirlradio.com and click on the Tee Public store link at the top of the page. Supergirl Radio, Superman and Lois Radio, The Flash Podcast, and Legends of Tomorrow Podcast, Black Lightning Podcast, Bad Woman Podcast 2, and Titans and Doom Patrol Podcast just for you, Justice League Dark Podcast, Green Lantern Podcast, Star Girl Podcast, Strange Adventures Podcast, and finally my favorite of the bunch, DCTV After Dark, where you're allowed to say and since we were reintroduced to CatCo this week, we have some CatCo designs in the DC TV podcast T Public Store. 
Yeah, we have a couple of different uh, versions of a CatCo Worldwide Media design. And uh, we have a Keep Calm and Chop Chop uh, <laughs> design in there as well. So if you're a big Cat Grant fan, we've got some designs in the T Public Store. We also have some new designs in the T Public Store, but we'll talk about those next week. Uh, at, when we do our next uh, Supergirl Radio uh, game night. So if you're interested mm. in that, uh, those designs are in the store now and they're on sale. So uh, if you want to go take a little, little uh, tease, a teaser look at, at those designs, you can go check those out now. But uh, for, for this week, we're going to promote Kat Grant because she was such a delight to revisit in the pilot. So uh, please go and check out our Kat Grant Cat Co. designs. Well, we would also like to thank our Legion of Super Sponsors for supporting uh, Supergirl Radio through our Patreon. These people are Michael, Sam, Anne-Marie, Yvonne, Quinn, Nicola, Leslie, Abby, Ermgard, Miriam, uh, Nicole, Lizeth, Faith, Brian, and Ethan. If you would like to become a Supergirl Radio Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash Radio. We have four monthly levels uh, that you can uh, be a part of and, uh, and support us through. So definitely check us out. And uh, thank you for helping uh, keep Supergirl Radio afloat with all of our fees and uh, giving us a, a way to do some cool things for the community uh, through what you do through the Patreon. So thank you for supporting us in that way. If you would like to uh, follow me and keep up with me on the internet, uh, you can do that through Vero, which is a social media platform uh, that I prefer. If you uh, join Vero and you follow me at Derby Kit on Vero, you would know that I started watching The Crown lately, Ooh. and I'm very addicted to it. I did not think that I would get as into it as uh, as I am but I'm loving The Crown. It's a beautiful show, a very superbly acted and well-written, and I'm obsessed with it now. I may have started watching it like two days ago, and I'm already almost finished the three season two. So Ooh, <laughs> I'm very uh, so into I, it. I got uh, really into it like right after that like uh, Meghan Markle interview. I was like, let's put on The Crown. <laughs> uh, but we we got to like season two, and I kind of petered out. There was like... Uh, a, a couple episodes that were like a little bit slower and then I, I got a little bit behind and then a ton of other TV came out. So I feel like I need to go back and watch the crown. Cause I really want to get to the Diana princess Diana season. Which yeah. I four. think that's, <laughs> I think that's season four, but I'm, I'm loving it. I, uh, I've been loving the actress who plays uh, queen Elizabeth the second. I think she is great and I love her accent. Uh, I, I once heard a uh, linguistics lecture uh, talk about how the Southern, the United States Southern accent is basically a slowed down version of the British, British accent. Oh. And so sometimes I can hear that when Queen Elizabeth speaks on the crowd, I'm like, that sounds like a Southern lady is saying that. <laughs> like it's so, sometimes like that accent sort of comes through and I just, I, I don't know. So part of me connects uh, through my uh, my southern heritage, I guess, uh, through the crown is that I, I can identify with. She just seems like a very wealthy southern lady. <laughs> the queen <laughs> is, how I, is how I see her. Um, but so it's very interesting. I just watched an episode where she met uh, Billy Graham. I was like, oh, I did not know this was a thing that happened to her. So I'm learning a lot about uh, British monarchy history through the crown. I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen wolf hall 
Um, mm. It's like a uh, like a BBC show. It's all about the Tudors and like Henry the Eighth and and um, and the actress who is in the Crown plays Anne Boleyn in that. I uh, I'm loving the actors in the show, and I know that Helena Bonham Carter shows up at some point playing. I'm excited, uh, Princess Margaret, and so that's very exciting because she also played. Didn't she also play Queen Elizabeth II's father's, no, her mother? Uh, yes, in right. the, in the she King's did. speech. In the King's speech, she did, yeah. So, so there's a lot of like these famous British actors playing members of different different members of the royal family. Uh they they just kind of play the the different people among the family. And I find that very interesting. So uh I'm learning all about Princess Margaret as well. I find her story very fascinating. So I just I just want everybody to know that I'm watching The Crown. I really like it. And you would know that if you followed me on Vero uh, (laughs) because I post what I'm watching and kind of what I'm reading and listening to. So uh, posting about that over there. You can also follow me on Instagram at The Derby Kid. Post the occasional picture and Instagram reel over there if you're interested. Uh, I'm also on uh, YouTube with a personal YouTube channel that I have called uh, Duck Milk Prod. So that's youtube.com slash Duck Milk Prod. I recently got back into my Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice uh, critical reception reviews. I've unfortunately been very uh, inconsistent with those lately because I've had I've been out of town and I've had things going on on Sunday afternoons that I can't make the live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern for. Uh, But the one I did this past week, uh, I I literally choked up during it. I was like, I can't read anymore. Um, So that I almost died doing this uh, live stream (laughs) on Sunday. So I'm glad I made it through for her. (laughs) You have to make sure that I'm okay. This is why you have to show up to the live stream to make sure that I make it. (laughs) These reviews are literally killing me. No, I'm just kidding. I'm being over melodramatic. Uh, but yeah, so if you're interested in film criticism and art criticism, uh, check me out on Sundays at 9 p.m. Eastern over at youtube.com slash DuckMilkPride. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Mojotastic. And you can also find me on the Legends of Tomorrow podcast where we just recorded our season seven wrap up episode. Or we we graded on the uh, Harry Potter OWL uh, <laughs> um, rating system. So we've rated all of season seven. So if you're wondering what we thought about the season overall, you should check that out. We also have a fan feedback episode coming up um, in a week or so. And we would love it if you would send us uh, what you thought about season seven. You can be a little bit more wordy than usual. Um, you can email that to thelegendspodcast at gmail.com. Or you can tweet it to us at legends underscore podcast. Um, and we are also still, as always, looking for Riverdale episodes to watch. (laughs) Apparently what our audience wants is for us to watch an episode of Riverdale the way that we've made Rebecca, we've made Sarah watch episodes of legends with no context and maybe a little buzzed. So um, (laughs) we are are doing our Riverdale March madness in which um, the craziest episodes of Riverdale come in, but only one, only one can uh, reign victorious. So, Please send us the craziest episodes of Riverdale that you can think of that we would have no idea what's going on because none of us really watch Riverdale. Uh, and that would be funny for us to watch without any context. And we will uh, we will crown one uh, by the end of the month and then we will watch it sometime in April. And then you can also find me on DC TV After Dark, a podcast 
that is back. That's oh, yeah. Exciting news that I have, which is if you've given up on DCTV after dark, <laughs> if you were like, man, it's been so long. They're never doing an episode of that podcast again. Well, the joke's on you. Because guess what we did? And this is why I say <laughs> that the best way of knowing when there's a new episode in After Dark is really just to subscribe to the podcast because we don't really know when the next episode is coming. We just kind of feel it in the air. The vibes change and we're like, it's time. Um, <laughs> people have been asking us about it. Uh, like the bat signal was up in the air and it was like, please do another episode. And we were like, all right. And then like a year later, we were like, fine, let's do it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you listen to it and you like it, you should send us an email at dctvatherdark uh, at gmail.com. And uh, we are planning our next episode. But if you want to listen to our first episode in a very long time, we have Andy back from the Flash podcast on. And we ask him the important questions like, would you rather be a mermaid or a werewolf? We're just really, we're going strong on this question. We've really like picked <laughs> sides and we've really settled in. We've dug in and, and, uh, and now I think it's becoming like an age old feud. Speaking of feud, I have a bone to pick with DCTV After Dark because you all said that I was on Team Mermaid and I was not, I made it very clear <laughs> based on my story of how I cried uh, watching being human and watching two werewolves get married that I'm, a, I'm firmly on team werewolf. You and are, I just, I just want to clear that, that slander to my good name on DC TV after dark. You are correct. I'm trying to get as many people onto my side as possible. <laughs> I, you just assumed I was on your side. I was like, Rebe Rebecca's my co-host. Of course she's on my <laughs> side. Of course she loves the water. Uh, <laughs> so I'm I'm very sorry. I want to apologize for the slander. Thank the, you. The mermaid slander. Uh, I it won't you. happen again. Okay. Uh, but I do need more people to choose mermaid. Uh, and I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna start campaigning for it pretty hard and pretty aggressively. So uh, that's something also to look forward to on Ather Dark is just me like slowly coming unhinged as nobody picks Mermaid. Uh, <laughs> uh, I see Nicole left a comment in the chat that says, I learned on the last episode of DC TV Ather Dark is that Morgan would talk about ice dancing with me. And boy, would I have a lot of feelings <laughs> about ice dancing, Tessa Moyer forever. Uh, <laughs> Um, yes, I, I've got, I've got a, a lot of, apparently I was, uh, when we recorded this, I was deep down into like an Olympics figure skating hole where I had like a lot of feelings. I had just listened to a whole podcast series about Tanya Harding. I was like ready. I was, I don't think that my co-host or, or my guest was ready for what was, what was happening where they were like, what have you been into lately? And I was like, let me tell you about the history of figure skating scoring. And they're like, no, I don't want that. <laughs> but, uh, what what you can anticipate that Morgan's co-host and guests wanted to talk about was a uh, little me. I was well, surprised. A lot of I was surprised how, <laughs> how much I came up into the conversation. Uh, pleasantly surprised. So uh, I was like, oh, they're talking about me. Then like 10 minutes later, it's like, oh, they're talking about me again. <laughs> and like 20 minutes later, oh, oh they're, they're, they're talking about me a third time. What is happening? <laughs> they're talking about me a third time and they got my selection wrong. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I appreciate, uh, I guess my ears were burning a little bit when I was listening <laughs> to the DC TV after dark. So I appreciate that um, I will occasionally come up in conversation. It makes me feel uh, appreciated. So I, I thank you. <laughs> thank you for that <laughs> over at DC, after, uh, DC TV after dark. And speaking of, I wanted to make an overlay for this and I did not have time. But uh, we are go- Supergirl Radio is going to be live and wired on Monday uh, March 21st, I believe it is, at 9 p.m. Eastern. And we say this because uh, we want people to show up for that live stream because the people in the chat are actually going to be really, really important. We are going to have our next Supergirl Radio game night. So please show up uh, at either facebook.com slash Radio or youtube.com slash Podcast uh, because we want to make this really competitive. And this is going to feature uh, the legendary ladies and Sarah from DCTV After Dark who are very excited about participating in our next uh, game night. We are going to be doing a March Madness tournament bracket. Uh, So we need the uh, listeners or the viewers to come to the live stream and uh, give us names of characters. And then you're going to be able to vote uh, after. So basically what we're going to do, try to sum it up real quick uh, before we go. Uh, We're going to have a a March Madness bracket. We're going to ask the listeners to give us names of characters from uh, either Supergirl or the Arrowverse. And we're going to pit those characters up against each other in a bracket. And uh, the uh, panelists, the legendary ladies and uh, Sarah, the Morgan podcast, uh, Morgan Glenn podcast universe, they're going to debate it out and make their case for who would win that fight between two characters. And then the listeners are going, uh, the viewers uh, of the live stream are going to uh, pick the winner based on the arguments put forth by the uh, podcasters on the live stream. So viewers are going to be really, really important for the March Madness episode. And so since we're doing it on a different day uh, than we usually do, uh, we wanted to kind of just tease that out if you want to come and join us. So please uh, come and hang out with us March 21st at 9 p.m. Eastern and enjoy the next game night. That'd be fun. It's going to be a ton of fun. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this episode of Supergirl Radio. But until next time, I think I'm still Rebecca Johnson. That (laughs) seems right. Yes, I can confirm. I'm still Rebecca Johnson. And I'm still Morgan Glennon. And remember, besides fatty foods, there's nothing people love more than a hero. McGurk! I Do love typing. Do not mess with my Google Docs, Meeksy. Supergirl Radio is going live every night of the week. How do you <laughs> like it? Is being, becoming a human burrito a plus or a minus? I don't know. It does seem snug. I mean, <laughs> they say you are what you eat. Kira. I love that. So I do a podcast called Supergirl Radio, and one of our segments is Lena Luther, boardroom or ballroom. Because really? She looks like a boss in this coat. Nasty Luther, like a different Luther. It's not just Lena being mean. No. <laughs> Helen Slater here. It's so fun to know that you're hosting a podcast called Supergirl Radio. Supergirl.